Hello, my name is Ran, and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Every episode, my co-host Joe Stewart and I speak with inspiring movers, thinkers, and teachers about how they find their flow and much, much more. I hope you're well and 2021 is going okay for you so far. There's a lot happening in the news these days, so I hope you're taking care of yourself and maybe even taking a break from it all. As a side note, I just wanted to mention that it was Joe and my 10th wedding anniversary last week. Thanks so much to Joe for being such an amazing human being and life partner. I love you so, so much. I've been looking forward to today's episode for a while. It's a conversation with Shara Carruthers and Maria Kirsten. I feel I'd like to give them each an episode on their own. They've got so much great stuff to share, but I think this episode is well worth a listen. Chara is a yoga teacher, certified yoga therapist, and the author of the book, Eat Like You Love Yourself, a guide to Ayurvedic cooking and living. Maria is also a yoga teacher, specialized teacher trainer, and is the creator of Yoga for Grown Ups. Together, they host the podcast, Live Like You Love Yourself. Joe and I were super honoured to be interviewed in an episode that came out last week on their podcast. We explored many interesting ideas including yoga, the role of yoga in social justice, living with cancer and so much more. We continued on some of the threads from that interview and the conversation you'll hear today, so I urge you to go and have a listen if you haven't already. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Before we get into our conversation, I just wanted to throw in a short plug for our studio, Garden of Yoga. We've recently put together a couple of video courses on our website. One is focused on computer cranky spots and contains yin yoga, chair yoga and nurturing yoga and Pilates sessions for the neck, back, shoulders and hips. The other is aerial yoga for beginners and beyond. In this course, we focus on clarity, safety and strategies to help all bodies feel comfortable in the aerial hammock. You can find both of these on our website at gardenofyoga.com.au slash learn and they're only $25 each for hours and hours of classes. All right, that's more than enough talking from me. Let's get into the conversation with Chara and Maria. All right, well, thanks so much Chara and Maria for speaking with us today. It's been great to catch up with you. It's only been a little while since we spoke to you last. And during that conversation, I, I actually wanted to sort of ask you guys heaps of the questions that you were asking us. But I guess before we start, well, the first question I'd like to ask is how did you both meet? It's an interesting story. I have lived here in in Ballina for about eight years. And I think about two or three years into that, at, at least one or two people said, do you know Maria? And I was like, no, I don't know Maria. Maria lives in Lennox, in Lennox Head, which is about 10 minutes away from me. And so over the years, a lot of people kept saying, oh, you should meet Maria. You, you know, and maybe it's, I don't know why they were saying, maybe because they, maybe because they know you, Maria, maybe because they know me. But anyway, long story, long story short, we had a friend, a, a mutual friend who basically just kind of said, look, I'm going to get, you guys have to meet. And so, and it wasn't like we were avoiding each other or anything. It just wasn't happening. And so she organized a mutual lunch date for us all to meet. And, and we did, and it was just love at first sight. <laughs> love at first sight. Oh, you got set up by a friend. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, such a fantastic day, wasn't it, Maria? It was so funny. And she's, she had lunch with us and we were just 
immediately. It was love at first sight. It was amazing. I haven't, I haven't had that with anybody in so long. And, and she left. She was, she after a while, like she didn't leave in a huff or anything, but she's like, no. okay, so I'm going to go. Uh, Cause we were just onto it right away. It was brilliant. Yeah. Just talking about yoga and life and just also just deep into it immediately. So it was great. And then Shara went away to a, she was on her way to a, a Vipassana retreat yeah. And so we didn't speak for another 10 days. And then she comes back two weeks later and I get a, I get a little email or message or something. I have to try and find it. And she's like, I know this might sound kind of weird, but I thought about you a lot in the, <laughs> in the retreat and I want to do a podcast with you. And I was like, oh, so you decided to start it like right off the bat. Like you had the first long conversation and you're wow. like, this needs to be online. <laughs> yeah. It was just a fun conversation. It was. It was really good. I like I had been thinking about doing a podcast for a while, but I just I don't know. I didn't I wasn't sure about what to talk what I wanted to talk about necessarily. And I I don't know if I was thinking about doing it with somebody, but I that whole Vipassana retreat I kept thinking about in between meditating, of course. I kept thinking about how fantastic and natural the conversation with Maria was. And then also just how strange it would be to ask basically a stranger to do a podcast with you. And when I got back, I thought, you know what? The hell with it. Like, just ask. The worst thing she could, she could say is no. And, and she said, yes. She said yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and we've had so many great conversations. Well, we started just having conversations, didn't we? We had a few. Yeah. We had a lot of quite a few other conversations before we started recording. Yeah. Just to play. Yeah. And then we recorded a number of them that were just us. And then... And then we ended up, when we launched the podcast, I think we ended up sharing a few of those ones and then we got started talking with other people. And so I guess maybe we should wind back a tiny bit and I'd love to hear about in your work life because you're both yoga teachers and yoga therapists and educators, where are the similarities and where are the differences between your two different styles and different approaches and really different, what do you each bring to the table? Mm. Well, so, so much kind of, it, it, it feels like a little, a little yin yang fit kind of, although we're, we're yeah. so on the same page with some things, but I suppose well, Shara has the Ayurveda and I have, I don't know what I have. I've got the kind of old people, mental health, anatomy, slightly probably, although Shara would never say you're not academic, but I can be a little more kind of break it down. Yeah. Shara's a real feely person. Yeah. And I'm like, well, let's look, analyze it and take it apart and kind of know it and, and do that. And so it just, that was what created a really perfect compliment. And I had never heard Ayurveda explained to me the way that Shara did. And it's, it's literally like it opened up another lobe in my brain. So is that enough of an answer? What do you think, Shara? Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. That's, that's actually interesting though. Cause I mean, Shara was just telling us before that she has an engineering background. So it's interesting Ooh. that Maria, you're the more analytical one of the two. It is. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I think I just, maybe when I left the whole engineering world, I really just left a lot of that behind. Or perhaps that was the reason that I did just because there's so much, there's so, so, so big a part of me is, is a feeling 
person and, and focuses on intuition and kind of moving from that place. So, yeah, but I think Maria described it pretty perfectly. The interesting thing is we are so on the same page about so much about yoga, about what's important in yoga, about what yoga is. And because we're a similar age as well, we recognize that we were both kind of speaking to the same people with this, a lot of the same concerns about how to practice yoga, what, what yoga really is, what it looks like in, in real life, that it just worked. It's so much fun to find a friend that you can talk all this stuff to. And I know when we had a conversation with you, you guys, you, you have these yoga conversations that not everybody in your life wants to be part of. <laughs> and, but, but for Shara and I, it was just like, oh, so no, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, it would just be like, blah, blah, blah. and then suddenly yeah. three or four hours later, it was like, oh, you know, we've got life to go back and do. And we'd be digging, digging in. It's, it's so wonderful to have a colleague to bounce ideas off and explore ideas with. It, it's been wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people experience that for their first time in their yoga teacher trainings and then mm. sometimes don't really get that again unless yeah. they really seek it out or just yeah. have a friend who's also super mm. into yoga. So it's actually great that you found that with someone else who, even though all of your friends just knew you were destined to be like mm. lifelong buddies, <laughs> that, yeah, because I think there are a lot of people who maybe feel a bit alone with these philosophical unpackings and unravelings. So nice work. Yeah, I definitely feel lucky as well. And you're right. I mean, I think for I, I recognized and I think maybe that was part of the reason why I wanted to even start a podcast in the first place was there's just something so nourishing about deep conversations about things that really matter or about things that we don't understand or things that we're feeling. And, you know, typically, I mean, I've got friends that I've been friends with for decades that we don't really get the opportunity ever to dive into conversations that, that are that deep and especially not sort of coming from the same foundations as well. So that has been just an incredible gift. It has. And did that lead you did it lead you to the live like you love yourself concept for your podcast? Because I feel like that's coming from a heartfelt place. Yeah. No, that kind of started for me. I, I, I wrote a book about two years ago called Eat Like You Love Yourself. And it's an Ayurvedic cookbook. And the idea when I wrote that book was to write a series of books around doing things like you love yourself. So move like you love yourself and act like you love yourself, all that sort of stuff. And so I had, I had kind of seized upon this idea of living like you love yourself as kind of a shorthand for Ayurveda. And so when we were talking about what we would call the podcast, we, we talked around a, a couple of different things. We talked around a lot of different ideas and things that would, that would make sense. And when we kind of nailed down what we wanted the podcast what the what we wanted the focus of the podcast to be live like you love yourself just fit it did fit and i said to shara i also wasn't sure whether i was actually capable of you know being the i thought she had a lot more potential than i did so i was like you've got a book called eat like you love yourself let's just go with it that way if i faded into the background which i would have to go kicking and screaming now but yes but, you would 
I would, but it no was, way. it was like, no, let's go with this. You've got this, you've got this thing. It's, that's the, such a great idea. Mm. You're happy to co-pilot. I was happy to co-pilot. It was a way of, I guess, protecting myself a little bit, not just making sure that I was going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, it's been great. Yeah. And so I think it's really interesting with your cookbook because it is something that we see in the yoga and wellness industries as a negative and as a positive, like this kind of aspirational eating and it becoming another layer of pressure in people's lives and even heading into disordered eating, like really restrictive eating and like eating well is such a nourishing, nurturing thing that you can do for yourself. But sometimes it is a little bit of a fine line for some people about where it's restricting and where it's like listening to your body and actually, you know, feeding yourself with love. In your mind, what does living like you love yourself look like? Like how do you define it? Shara? <laughs> Oh, to me, and mine is, my thinking about this is so informed by my study and teaching and practice of Ayurveda. It's, it's, it's finding a way to be true to yourself. So it's, it's, it's doing the work to know yourself. And then it's this sort of present moment. It's this kind of present moment existence. It's this it's this understanding of what feeds you and what doesn't, and then developing the courage to choose what feeds you over what doesn't feed you. And as well as that, it's about being honest with yourself, because I feel like so much of the way we live is on autopilot. So much of the way we live is is very patterned and in many ways, and especially when you hit things that you don't recognize, like like pandemics and various other things, it feels like a safe place to be. But I think over time, and perhaps that's that's why it's such a it's to me it's such a I guess for lack of a better term poignant message at this age of my life. I'm 51 now. It's like look, <laughs> life is short. You, you have to find the courage to be with the people you want to be with and say the things that you want to say and, and take care of your body and your mind. Because I suppose from the yogic standpoint, that is what we're really here to do. We're here to kind of realize our full potential. And so to me, living like you love yourself is living in a way that supports that you being able to realize your full potential. Mm -hmm. Such a beautiful message. And no one can do that for you. Yep. It's like you need to do that for yourself, which can be hard to hear. Oh, man. It can definitely hard to hear. It can be. What about you, Maria? I want to hear your, I want to hear your version. Well, I love what you said. I just do real with, with things that you said. I love, I love that, that the first thing is doing the work to know yourself. And I think of yoga as, as really a, a technology or a, a means to know yourself. And then... It's resourcing yourself and building in supports. And I, it, it's, it, that's so different for everybody, what you need to be nourished, to, be, to self-regulate, to feel good in your body and in your mind. And, and building supports is really about community, I think, also, as well as, as well as a yoga practice. It's also 
in community. And then through those things, you develop this self-trust and that's that kind of, it's almost like letting your organism rather than your brain tell you what to do. It's like really developing. Cause I remember people saying, just trust your gut for a really early part of my life. I my gut wasn't telling me anything. <laughs> so it was it, but now it really does. It says really strongly, no, 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 not this way. <laughs> Let's go that way. And it feels nice to be able to trust my organism to say, yes, yes, this food, this person, this practice. And that takes quite a long time. And I, the other thing I've noticed is living like I love myself is really watching my prana bank and looking at what nourishes it and fills it and, and yeah, gives it abundance and what drains it and really sensing, hang on, this is not, this is, I'm just losing prana here and I've got to rework this. This isn't working at all. So I guess that's what it, what it means to me. Mm. And so just as a really simple example for each of you, like what is a little living like you love yourself moment or decision that you've made or experienced recently? For me, I would say that for me, it's, there's a process of living like I love myself, which is about listening. And I think for me, one of the things that I kind of recognized very recently is, or somewhat recently, is that there are are people in my life that drain me and that I spend, I had been spending time with out of obligation. And it wasn't that I didn't enjoy to, to some degree, or I I don't know if I wouldn't say enjoy, it just, it didn't feel like it was hurting. (laughs) But if I look at it, when I looked at it with a more honest lens or through a more honest lens, I could, and and by honest lens, I mean, feeling into the sensations in my body, like tuning into this, the felt sense of being around certain people when I'm with them. And then even after I recognized that this, like, like Maria was sort of saying, this is draining my, my prana bank. Like this is costing me more than, than it should be. And so making some of the hard decisions to let those, let that kind of stuff go and not, not necessarily calling people and kind of writing them off, but just making a conscious decision to direct my energy in other places. And it's a hard thing to do that kind of stuff. I feel because all we really want in life is for people to, to like us. And so that's, we, that drive within us drives us to make a lot of choices that, that do deplete us. Mm. I feel like that is a really, like, it's a really tough thing to do if it's a friend in your yeah. life, especially if it's someone who's going through a hard time. And I know it's something as well that yoga teachers and I'm sure yoga therapists can often experience with our students and with clients where certain people just really take a lot out of you. And does it come down to creating clear boundaries with those people? You bet. You know, it. I think it it can in certain circumstances, for sure. It definitely can. But then there's also, there are other situations where it's, for me at least, it was really about recognizing that that wasn't necessarily going to be possible. So I do, I would say for yoga teachers and for folks who are in that, who are engaged in roles in the world where they, they are, their role is to support other folks and to be there for other folks. I think boundaries is the, is one of the most important things you can actually do. Mm, So do I, I think they, well, because you, the process of setting a boundary is the process of feeling in first. So I love that. 
like nonviolent communication, which I first heard with Judith Lassiter, and then it saved my marriage. <laughs> it was really good. But it, when I feel, observe, see, I, I feel this because I need this. So would you be willing to this? And so you've got to go through the whole process of observing, noticing, feeling, and then feeling what need isn't met. And so I think, I don't know where I got, I got myself off a little bit on left field, but I think that process of really feeling into it and creating a boundary, because then you can say to the person, are you willing to do this? And you can make terms where you can interact with them in a way that isn't totally depleting because you put boundaries around it. You just think Mm -hmm. this isn't going to last forever. And it definitely seems that the people who maybe take the most energy are the people who are the hardest to create clear boundaries with yes. because that's kind of at the heart of that issue to begin with. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, for me, what it's looked like primarily is developing a sense of equanimity around it. Really. It's just that 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 feeling that isn't about kind of clinging. It, for me, a lot of my interactions with certain people were driven by a, a feeling of obligation. And I think when that's, when that's the case, especially if you have a choice, cause I mean, we all have family members and stuff, but especially when you have a choice and you can see that it may not, the situation may not be truly serving either party. I think it can take some courage to say, right, I'm just going to, I'm going to take this sort of more equanimous stance here and, and not throw a lot of additional energy into this. And I guess that leads me into a phrase that really stood out to me in your initial podcast episode where you were just kind of talking about the way that you choose to live your life. And I'm not sure which whose voice it was, but I loved the phrase that like I'm a character in my community. And mm. for me, that kind of speaks to like living a little larger and really engaging and really participating in life and in your community have you always felt comfortable to live like this or do you think that you've grown into that role? That's yours, Maria. You're the character in your community. (laughs) I might be the character. I absolutely are. (laughs) It's, it's something that evolved. I love, I love being a character in my community because, (laughs) because it's, it's very different to my private self too. I mean, I don't, I don't mean that I'm faking it at all. But I I have always kept that like yoga teacher. It's like you step into that. And I love the person that I am as a yoga teacher. I think it actually steps me up to being a better person and to setting an example and just fulfilling the values. And, and by doing that, you you manifest them in yourself. So I like who that is. And, and then slowly, as I've just been teaching yoga in Lennox Head for 20 years, I've probably taught every kid over a certain age, because everyone who was contemporaries with my kids, because I taught in their schools and every church and every organization. And so you, and I've probably seen every adult that came through that was like, I'll give that a shot. So it, but that's, that's Maria is the yoga lady. And I like to be known for that. And I'm not really, I don't know much else. Like I don't, think about gossip or things like that. And I don't know, it's kind of a bit of a clueless thing, but I like being the yoga person and I like being someone who shares that and who people think 
it's so funny when you see them in the grocery store and you've got, I don't know what you've got in your grocery bag or you're at the liquor store walking out with a couple of bottles of wine <laughs> and they look at you and they're like, oh, and I'm like, yep. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I live a pretty, pretty yogic life, but I also live a life of, I'm a householder with children and a family and friends and stuff in moderation. So that's also kind of funny, but I've loved being that character because I think it's really brought out in me something that I wanted to be and wanted to step into those shoes as they as they saw me. I feel like you might be a character in your community as well, Shara. Yes. <laughs> I just get that vibe. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm growing my character status in my community. I was actually just about to say, I feel like since Maria and I have started this podcast together, I get the benefit of being Maria's kind of partner in crime. Cause whenever, whenever I go to her town, like I, you know, it's all about Maria and, mm-hmm. and I just get to hang out with her. And I always feel really cool being able to, to kind of <laughs> hang out. Cause when she goes to the, sometimes we end up in the same like little cafes and stuff and she's often there with her, a bunch of her students or whatever, or people will come in or if we're having coffee or something, people will come in and out and she'll be saying hello to all these different people who come in and out And so that I think has been, that's been a joy for me to kind of have that association with Maria. I, I've been teaching here in Ballina for about eight years. And so I have taught quite a few folks, folks here. And you know, it's funny because when I started teaching here, I had, I had this idea in my head that I wanted to be the teacher. I wanted to be the kind of person who in a place, because I'd never lived in a place this small, in a place where I had taught people and I could walk around, like go to the bakery or go to the wherever, and people would be saying hello to me because they knew me from my classes. And so I have actually had that happen, which has been really nice. And yeah, I, it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. There's probably a lot of characters here in in Ballina, but I I suppose I could consider myself among them. Yeah. I I also think of you, Shara, as having a really important online community and, and, I think I've ridden on your coattails there and and you've really come forward as a as a presenter and a facilitator and and yeah I think I think that 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 you you manage that really really well. So cuz that that can it's a really fine line on oh, not losing your soul that's the wrong thing to do but you can tip into that it's it's all show, but I think the way that you cultivate your students or the relationships you have with your students, and we've interviewed some of them, is so beautiful, really beautiful, and goes much deeper than, I don't know, the client client therapist relationship. It's lovely. Thanks. Mm. Yeah, I love my <laughs> online people, and I love mm. the fact that, that even though it can be a challenging, as I'm sure you you all know, living in Australia and and kind of communing with folks around the world, just relative to time zones and whatever. But yeah, I love that. I've always felt like a global citizen anyway. So I love that I can be a part of this global community and that I can grow it around these things that I love to do and love to talk about and love to teach. Nice. And this could be a bit of a left turn. It might not be, but what has living through 2020 taught you about life? <laughs> it's been a been an interesting year to say the least. So. <laughs> Shara? Me? Oh man, you know, this has been, this has really been an incredible year. And it's interesting because sometimes I feel a little bit guilty saying that because it's been a terrible year for many people. And and for a lot of people, it's been really great. But I think if anything else, or if nothing else, 
this year has taught me something that I actually have been teaching people. <laughs> you know, you teach people, you say things all the time and you're like, somehow there's a little part of you that doesn't, hasn't fully grasped it. But this idea of trusting the timing of your life, I've had a number of amazing opportunities come to me this year, which have been great professionally and, and personally. But also I think if you had of, if you had of said to me, you're, this is going to be, I had to, I had to cancel a bunch of things. I had to cancel things that I had been building for years. I had this whole tour of Europe to go of teaching and that I'd been building up for years to have happen. And I wasn't really all that disappointed when all of that stuff got canceled. I just feel like this moment, or it's been a little bit longer than a moment, but I think in the, over the course of our lifetimes, it'll feel perhaps like a moment of, in many ways, enforced kind of quiet or calm has just been for me so incredibly nourishing and when i think about how much we scramble to try to to try to fill the void we scramble to try to live in a way that is so certain and so predictable i think uncertainty is a scary thing for so many people this year has definitely taught me that we can't always have the answers uncertainty can be scary but if we can trust it, it it could it it can and ultimately will deliver for us. And I've certainly found that because it's been a wonderful year. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for those insights, hmm. and <laughs> especially hearing about how having built towards like a big European tour and then actually getting a little sense of relief when that wasn't going to happen. I think that those kind of com confusing and complicated responses to things are something that have probably come up for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it was less, it wasn't so much relief, but it was really more, if you had a said, all oh, this is going to be canceled and taken away. I think I would have felt like an, an intense sense of like pain and fear. And yet when it all just got canceled, there wasn't that, that didn't happen. I didn't feel sad. I didn't feel there wasn't pain there. There wasn't a sense of regret or worry or anything it was just okay my life's gonna turn in a different direction this year I don't know I don't know what's gonna happen but that's okay I'm just I'll be ready for it whatever whatever comes you know if if nothing else is a testament to a yoga practice I think that (laughs) I think so I definitely think I think so (laughs) yeah how about you Maria what has living through 2020 taught you about life well it's been a real I don't know. I shouldn't swear, but it's been one of those years. It's been a big, big, like, but I, I like Shara, am when I actually sit back from it, the things that really came through was, first of all, thank goodness I know how to do yoga. And I mean, the big yoga, like I know how to self-regulate and calm down and, and also just go, oh, well, when everything's canceled, you know, just kind of let things go because that's the reality. So why struggle and allow the feelings to, to go through? So those resources, I was so grateful I had them before and I didn't have to, like so many people, develop resources under the pump, mm. that my practice was there. And I just, and then for, for a whole host of other reasons. And, and then the other thing that really struck me is my privilege, my white mm. privilege, not that I'm glorying in my white privilege, but I became really conscious of it. And then also the privilege of that I could, that I do have a place to practice, that I have a community that wasn't locked down forever, 
that I have the the luck, I guess the affluence, the relative affluence to have a space to enjoy the solitude and and those habits. Because I, I think it would be really different if you lived in a, I mean, even my children have grown and, and left the nest. So having them home for six weeks of COVID was a delight. I can't even imagine having sort of a three and a five-year-old or, or school-age kids mm-hmm. and having to work. You know, there were a lot of challenges that were thrown to people that I only had to deal with my own mind. <laughs> and, and I also was really psyched to get some stuff online. So it gave me a chance to put some courses online, which I never, ever would have done. So that was, that was kind of a cool opportunity. But I just want to acknowledge the privilege of saying that because because I know how many for how many people this has been really really hard mentally economically in every way. Mm-hmm. Hello, Ryan here. I just wanted to talk about our Patreon page. Patreon is a way that you can help support the podcast for as little as one dollar US a month. High tiers get access to extra special content as well as a listing on our website and a shout out on the podcast. If you'd like to help us with a small monthly donation, just go to patreon.com slash flowartistpodcast and join in the fun. If you'd like to support us in other ways, you can share this episode on social media, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or just reach out and let us know your thoughts on this episode or anything else you'd like to talk about. All right, let's get back to our conversation with Maria and Chara. And it's interesting that you're really kind of mentioning your own privilege so much because mm. you dropped into our last conversation that you're living with cancer at the moment, mm. which is kind of massive and a diagnosis that would really rock anyone's world, especially with everything else going on in the world mm. at the moment. And I feel like as well there's another layer to it for yoga teachers and people kind of working in the field of health. And if you're feeling comfortable with that, I'd really love to explore them because there were definitely some things that came up when Ran had cancer that we were like, sure, yeah, we had questions. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and would... I guess the first one is like, how are you? I, I am so surprisingly well. It's just, it's so, it's so interesting to be able to watch your own mind and then to, so to have the space between stimulus and response, you know, that Victor Frankl quote, I think that I felt so grateful for that because it, there was a week in April where I potentially had a very, very, very bad diagnosis. So I had to really face like a 5% chance of living kind of thing. And, and, and I could do that. I could feel the fear. I mean, I'm not saying I didn't feel all of these really, really intense emotions, but I could in some way stand back from it and I could still include my family and, and reach out and have relationships. And then it was misdiagnosed. So it wasn't, they said, in, then they were like, no, no, it's just an autoimmune inflammatory condition. And then when you hear you've got autoimmune, oh, there's this dangerous thing of blaming yourself, of being like, well, what am I doing? And, and you have to work your way through that and work your way through practice. But luckily with autoimmune, there's a lot of rest. So I was doing a lot of a lot of prana practice. And then I got another biopsy because that wasn't the diagnosis. And then it is a malignancy, <laughs> which has a much better chance. I have a much better prognosis and that's good. But it's been a kind of roller coaster and and in between the roller coaster, because it was 10 months 
or uh, seven months of waiting. And the waiting was the hardest part. The, the, what your mind does when you don't know and where it goes is really quite terrifying. And so to, to bring yourself back and to, and to know how to navigate that either through practice or on the days when I couldn't practice that I really felt a bit like a caged rat, then I sought support. I knew to seek support from either teachers or friends or family. I, don't know, I was so grateful that I had, I had things to do and I knew how to do it. And I had those supports and those, and those resources there. Yoga has just helped me so much every single day. Breathing has helped me so much. <laughs> I don't know if I answered. I kind of went off on a tangent, but uh, it's. Oh, no, that was a great answer. Mm-hmm. It's been huge, but it's also like been so okay. And then right now, like I'm waiting, I'm having surgery in less than two weeks and, and it'll be, it's reasonable surgery and it, it'll be fine. And you, there's a, also a thing that you can do, which is it's so unfair. You can kind of flip like a fish on the floor and, and think, and then I, it turned around and it was when I was having, having, uh, just getting some veins mapped to find out whether my veins were good enough for the, the procedure. And the man was like, your veins are so beautiful. And I was oh. like, and he goes, it's so good that you have looked after yourself. You are going to get through this so well. And I thought, yes, it's not about fair. Nothing's fair. It's about building resources and building supports and, and taking care of yourself so that when the pup hits the fan, which it will, like, and if it's not your pup, it's somebody else's, you know, it's your partner who has cancer or your, there's stuff that's going to happen inevitably to have that in place and to have taken care of yourself and to be the best you can. It doesn't mean it's all going to be perfect, but it'll, it just helps you know yourself and recover. I think I have yet to recover, but I'll, I'm feeling really optimistic, (laughs) which is amazing. And I think just getting through six to seven months of that level of uncertainty Mm. is huge. It was. As someone who's usually like in a supportive role of helping other people manage their health and managing their emotional well-being, have you found yourself putting a lot of your emotional energy into making sure everyone around you is okay, like your friends and your family? And if you had moments where you've really had to like pull back on that and maintain your own energetic reserves? Kind of interestingly not. Anyone who feels like my ener- they're going to deplete my energetic reserves, I've sort of knew not to get anywhere near them, kind of. <laughs> and and at my support network, like, and now I'm talking like closed in tight. It's not the community that I was talking about. It's like really kind of the, the group of friends that I raised my family, my, my children with and stuff like that. And I've got, I've got people around and family that are so good. And even my kids, yeah, I don't know. I haven't had, we've, we've looked after each other and it's been really clear and really honest. So I haven't had to do that so much. Well, I guess that leads into another one of my questions, which definitely comes up for yoga teachers and people who kind of have a little bit more of a public aspect to their lives of how do you decide who to tell and Mm. how much to share? Well, in October, I started a new round of my yoga for mental health course and it's got some online time and some video time and I'm online the first day and I've just gotten the malignancy diagnosis back and I have no idea like what the next few months is going to hold. And I thought I cannot do a course about mental health and about creating a safe space and being authentic and really real 
and sit here with this thing in my mind because my face and my body language is going to say one thing and they're going to get a mixed message and then they're not going to feel comfortable and safe. Like there's going to be a, a disjuncture sort of there. So I, I told them, I was like, and I'm like, I'm so sorry to hit you with this. And if you need out, then you should, you should, you should protect yourself. So you don't have to carry any of this, but if you're up for it, for whatever it is, I'm, I'm really okay, but I just need you to know that this is going on and I might need to stop and I might need to kind of reschedule. And that actually was the best thing. And I found telling my students, I've only told my, my kind of classes recently because I'm going to have time away from them. And I told them at the beginning of class so that they could hear that I was okay while I taught them. So that by the time the end of class, I didn't want to leave it and drop it on them at the end. And everybody's been fantastic and not kind of running in and needing to have big conversations, but people are really cute in their response. And I think I'm just one of those people that has to be really real about it. My big question is, am I going to share it on Instagram? Which is kind of weird, but I, I really love my little Instagram following and I kind of do little things that I do a little bit each day. And I like, I love that. And I thought maybe I'll, maybe I'll do like a hospital version and a recovery version, but I suppose at some point I've got to tell people, I just don't know whether I should tell them right after it happens. So they'll know I'll be all right. But I would never want to burden people with the worry. So you've got to cut right to the chase and be like, the prognosis is good, but (laughs) kind of thing. I don't know. Did you find Ron that you held back or held forth on who you told? Uh, I think if anything, I probably overshared. (laughs) I think think I'm an overshare too. Yeah, yeah, no, I, um, I was pretty open about the whole thing and we actually found social media incredibly helpful. Mm. It, it just sort of meant we could sort of tell everyone in in one go without mm. having to sort of repeat the whole exactly. the whole story to everyone. So, yeah, I, I found mm. it really useful. And plus we had a, we started up a, a Facebook group. Well, some friends started a Facebook group where people could actually offer small ways to help so they could help say help get me to chemo or someone prepared us meals or someone actually even paid for someone to clean a house which was incredible wow yeah I wasn't (laughs) that's wonderful though concrete support is amazing it is Mm, mm, no it was pretty it was pretty amazing I'm pretty grateful for that sorry did you want to say something oh I was gonna say as well with the helpful friends for Joe and Ron Facebook group what I liked about it is you didn't have to ask specific people for things. You could just put it out there and just be like, oh, we need this. And then people could volunteer the help. And Mm. I feel like if you're in a kind of vulnerable emotional state and going through a lot to actually reach out and ask someone and I don't know, have to have like a conversation with expectations felt like a lot, Mm. but being able to put it out to the internet felt a lot easier and a lot more open. Yeah. It's so lovely. Yeah, it's a great idea because people want to help. They want to they want to support you in whatever way they can, but sometimes it's hard to know. And like you were saying, it can be difficult on the other side as well. And I guess on the other side of this whole thing, I know during my, my experience from time to time, I did get some unsolicited sort of health advice from, from people who definitely mean well. But for example, one person who I think was my boss's wife at the time actually suggested I go on a month long water fast, which I I definitely don't think is, is good advice. For someone about to get their stomach removed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm just wondering if, if, if the same has happened with you. Yes. 
Yeah, it has. And when you live on the far north coast, there's quite a bit of quackery and and also quite a bit of paranoia about medicine. And that's been a big, I think one of the reasons I feel so okay right now, one of the hardest things for me has been to surrender and trust that the doctors, I, you know, I'm a public patient and that these doctors are going to do their best for me and that I'm going to be okay and I can trust them. Because I I have a danger of being a kind of yoga person and I can do this is that you actually think you can control what's happening to you, which is quite a delusion. And surrendering to that was really difficult. And it was interesting in the process of an admissions call, I got four calls from different people to about my admission. By the end of that conversation, I was like, wow, I have got a team of people who have thought about me, who really care. And anyone who says that, I don't know, there's a conspiracy not to share the cure of cancer, all this stuff. I don't need any of that right now. And I don't, and I've, I've had, and the, also I've been handed like vitamins and supplements and things like that. And, and that, and a statistic was like, well, you can't take any of that because, or the, the pharmacist, they're like, no, nope, you can't have any of those for two weeks. So, so I could just say, I can't have anything and, and do that. So I, I sort of back off on that stuff, but it's interesting, less of it than than I need, but I just sort of listen politely and then keep moving. People mean it out of love. Absolutely. absolutely yeah. yeah. But and so, hmm. want to go on, Maria? No, I'm just going to trust my doctors. I really need to. I need to know that they're, that they're going to do the best they can. And I, and, and obviously nothing is guaranteed, but that feeling has been making my body, my whole organism and soul feel really good this week. <laughs> You sort of sit back from yourself and go, you're doing great. (laughs) You know, you all right. But anyway, it changes, but yeah. Another question that I've had, which I think you touched on a little bit with that kind of, oh, it feels so unfair. Why has this happened to me? That I think comes up with anyone who gets a really intense diagnosis because eating well and meditating and taking time to rest are often the types of lifestyle changes that people make when they get a serious diagnosis. And I imagine you pretty much already live like this. Have there been any changes that you've made to your practice or to your life? Or have you just kind of felt like, okay, I've got this lifestyle stuff in place. <laughs> I've got this. Right. I think Shara could join in on this too eventually. But <laughs> I wish that I had all that lifestyle stuff in place. So I, it's, it's definitely been a, a, walk the, a walk your talk, sweetheart moment. I definitely had, I mean, I'm not a boozing, drugging sort of person who eats crap. There's a general baseline that was there, but I think the real danger as a kind of person who's has a business, I guess, is that that you overwork, you get, you get busy. And part of it is you really love your work. So it's really easy to overwork and to not rest enough and not take big chunks of solitude and quiet. And so although I had a I had a practice and I think that has really deepened and I and in a way in a way that has has made it much deeper. I'm really conscious of things that I resisted a little bit like restorative yoga and really sitting in meditation and doing much more breathing and much more slow prana based practice has been what I've done where I liked it and I did it a bit but I I 
I just didn't need to do it. I really feel the effects of it now, like especially because I've had to manage pain. So, so I manage it with Panadol and I'm not suffering in a great way, but it's much, much easier to manage when I do those practices and it's much worse when I don't or if I'm too busy or if I, if I play it out. And I think all of us, even though we have a lot of the basics in place, really, really watching our prana banks is key. Shara, do you have anything to say about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I I really agree with you that it feels to me like very much the measure of our practice is our ability to adapt as things shift. I mean, it's you guys you were already talking about how as yoga teachers and yogis ourselves there tends to be this relative to perhaps other folks out there in the world there tends to be this baseline of healthy living and maybe even healthy thinking, but we do still fall into these patterns that we, that we, in many, and sometimes we can convince ourselves that, yeah, this is, this is it. (laughs) This is, this is what's keeping me where I, where I need to be. And I think our ability to make changes to what we're doing or to, to do that, that internal looking, that self-study when things like this occur in our lives to ask ourselves that question, what do, what do I need now? What do I need to stop doing or what do I need to add? I think that's really important. And I think that's very much a part of our yoga practice. And I feel like for Maria, just from the conversations that I've had with her, that's very much been your, I suppose your reaction to a lot of this. Okay. What do I need to do? How do I, where do I need to shift or change in order to support who I am right now? And I think that's added a lot of poignancy to the podcast because we don't, I don't want to hear what your trikonasana is like or what your, you know, all that stuff. We, Shara and I really want to hear like when the, when the pulp hits the fan, how does the rubber hit the road in your practice? Cause that's where it's so interesting. It's so easy when it's easy. Yeah, for sure. It sounds like another level of living like you love yourself. Yeah. It is for me, it's the, it it is very much part of the definition of it, that willingness to adapt because change is all around us all the time. And man, can we, can we hold it down? Like we can, we can resist it like nobody's business, all of us, but if we're willing to kind of lean into it and to do the work that it takes to support ourselves through it, I, I think that's why we're here. And, and know when to ask for support. That's yes. so, that's been so, I cannot do this by myself. And so it's been beautiful to have conversations with Shara or to spend time with friends and family and to really acknowledge that I am, I cannot do this by myself. As much as that makes me feel really vulnerable, <laughs> part of that vulnerability is something that I kind of move into with the practice. I think that's a really important part of it. Yoga teachers can think that they have to do it all, all by themselves and they don't. And I think it's actually a really powerful gesture for your community and for your friends and family to actually feel like they can help in some way. Like I think mm-hmm. for the, everyone's emotional well-being, like people want to help. They do. Yeah. I, th- I think that's a big, going back to what you were asking about what we've learned for this year. This year has so much been about just reinforcing this idea of the importance of community. And we talked about that with you guys when you were, when we had that conversation with you for our podcast, you know, this just recognizing 
what community actually means to you and what it feels like and what it really looks like and and all of the many ways that it actually can support support us and is there for us. I think that's that's a to me that's definitely been a big part of this year. I loved we interviewed recently and it hasn't come out yet, Heather Plett, who wrote a book on holding space. And she said the things that support you to support others, the very things that support you are mystery and community. I was like, I love wow. that. The mystery was sort of Ishvara Pranidhana and the and the community is the Sangha or or it just says it all to me. And that was it was lovely. Nice to have it articulated. Mm, so simply as well. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. And you might have really gone here already, but have there been any other practices that have really helped you and supported you, both you, Maria, through everything else 2020 has thrown at you and your diagnosis and also for you, Shara, just in general this year? Shara? No worries. For me, I think this I think perhaps the idea of creating space, again, something that I've that I've been teaching for years, and it has evolved in what it looks like for me. And I think there are times in our lives when we we recognize, like truly recognize more than just the thinking about it, more than just the theory. We feel it, we feel the impacts of these things in our bodies. And for me, creating space has been a really big part of my practice of living, my practice of living like I love myself and my practice of yoga. It's been about slowing things down. It's been about simplifying things. So taking a lot of things out. And I suppose in the wider sense, it it has been about giving myself the space to retreat, to kind of step back from things, even if it's just for a few minutes a day or in a small way, as opposed to kind of going on retreat or because I haven't really gone, I haven't really gone anywhere this year. I haven't really (laughs) left the house basically. And so, yeah, I think that space, that idea of making space as a, or creating space as an intention and as a practice has been a big part of what's been, what's supported me through this year. Great answer. I have to say a similar thing. I think for me, it was the power of no. Like, I'm a really greedy person. I, I just <laughs> so greedy for life. And when people are like, oh, I'm bored, I'm like, great, can I have half your life too? Because I'm, 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 mine isn't enough. <laughs> and the, one of the good things about having a cancer diagnosis, I'm always joking with my, I'm from New York. So I'm like, look, I got cancer, so I don't have to do that. Right? <laughs> it's, it's somehow making light of it. But one thing is, is I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. Not one single thing. And that is incredibly freeing because it's like, yeah, I just think that it, I don't know. I think about Marie Kondo or the spark of joy lady who do you want to throw it out? Does it give you a spark of joy? And I'm doing that spark of joy test with lots of things. And if I don't have it, I'm just like, I just go home from whatever it is or not do it and, and not just say yes to all the work or all the, all the output or even all the input. So I could have done tons and tons of learning online, but I couldn't. I just looked at things and thought, I can't integrate that. I need space. And that was exactly what, what Chara was saying. 
So that somehow that really clarified what I was going to allow to come in and to, and I had, I had a perfect excuse. I can do what I want (laughs) for once in my life, I guess. Oh dear, my poor husband. (laughs) But it's nice because no one makes you do anything. Nice. It is nice. Did you? Yeah. Sounds like I'm being such a selfish, spoiled brat. Work it, baby, work it. <laughs> I know. Well, I have a, I'm, it's interesting. I've got an opportunity. I've got a few people that I swim with, and one of the other women I swam with had a had some cancer, and it's also had you know, quite serious stuff happening. And she was having trouble sitting still, and and needed to. What everybody said, let's meditate. And I said, well, I'd love to teach you, and just know that I have three weeks to teach. So I'm, we're going to do the third one on, on Thursday. And it's been so nice to share my practice with someone who's a total novice and, and to, but I, but who is in the cancer crowd. Cause I know the fear. I know the loneliness. I know, I know what's going on. And, and so it's been really, it's been really interesting, nice to do some new things that I never would have done and to, sh- and to kind of use the crap for good. Mm. So that's, that's felt, that's felt good. That's beautiful. So I guess I have one more question. It's the question we ask at the end of all our episodes. And I guess if you might've touched on this already, but if each of you could distill everything that you've learned and everything that you teach down to one core essence, what do you think that one thing would be? What a question. Oh, yeah, amazing. <laughs> Maria doesn't have to answer because she has cancer. (laughs) As if I would bow out on that one, though. (laughs) I actually have done this. I and maybe it's just because simple simple things are easy for me to remember and to to kind of to put into action. But I I have a, a little mantra which is know yourself, love yourself. And to me, it's it's a it's a simple reminder of intention, of action, and I suppose of the value of, of I suppose, of taking the time, of putting, of, of doing the work. And so, yeah, I would say that's it. And that it also, to me, is a, is a really simple way of describing what Ayurveda is about. And hopefully yeah. what I'm about to. <laughs> Beautiful distillation. Thanks. Amazing. You had to go first, didn't you? <laughs> but interestingly, as you were, before you started speaking, I wrote down using yoga to know yourself and to fall in love with yourself. So it's so Boom. interesting. This is why we broadcast. I know. That's why we have so much fun. This is why we're broadcast. <laughs> I say to students that doing your practice is like having date night in a long-term relationship where you're like, eh, I know, I know you can't, you're not going to surprise me. And I, I, I've been in this relationship for a long time. And then you... You go on a date night, you make some time to be with yourself and to do some practices, whatever they look like. And inevitably you do fall back in love with yourself and you know yourself and you trust yourself. And and I think it's such an opportunity. And I, I really feel sorry for people who don't have some practice. I know yoga is not the be all and end all, and there's lots of other ways to do that, but something that gives you the chance to experience who you are as you are and and come into a place of curiosity and kindness and play 
Oh, so great. Mm, and I love the analogy of date night in a long-term relationship <laughs> because <laughs> our relationship with ourself is our longest-term relationship. Yeah. Is yeah. It? I know yeah. we can think we we can think there's no more surprises and no more romance and <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's always always retrievable yeah That's right I love that Maria beautiful oh thank you both for your your time and your wisdom and yeah no it's been been great getting the chance to speak with you both for our podcast and for yours yeah I know yeah. it's such a treat <laughs> it has I know. been a real treat. It has been. I've really enjoyed it. And there's some part of me that's like, okay, same time next week. I know. <laughs> uh, I'm going to really miss you. Great questions, though. Absolutely great questions. I know. Really terrific questions. Oh, oh great answers. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, because we often think, oh, we don't want to over script. But then I love a really good question does elicit some, makes you really think. I, it was wonderful to be presented with some great questions. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for doing that work. Yeah. Oh, pleasure. Mm. Well, we'll have to do it again sometime because I'm going to miss you guys really a lot if we don't talk soon. <laughs> oh, maybe we can have like an in-person dinner sometime. Oh, that'd be great, actually. Be yeah. Great. I'm hoping yeah. to get down to Melbourne in 2021. So maybe I'll drag Maria with me. Mm. Exactly. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Maria and Chara. It was a super fun conversation. And again, you should definitely listen to their podcast if you haven't already. For our next episode, we're speaking with Julie Clark. Julie is a yoga teacher, a yoga therapist, and the creator of All Abilities Yoga. She's also got a pretty incredible story, having lived with an acquired brain injury for a few years now. That episode comes out in two weeks' time. Our theme song is Baby Robots by Ghost Soul and is used with permission. Get his music from ghostsoul.bandcamp.com. Thank you so, so much for listening. Joe and I really appreciate you spending your time with us. Aroha Nui. Big, big love. Love.